Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, coming at you from Eureka, California, joined by Michael O'Neill in Syracuse, New York. Howdy, Michael. Hey, David. I'm really excited about this show because we have a Green Party celebrity uh, with us, a longtime electoral reform activist, uh, somebody who has been elected to the state legislature in the state of Maine, John Eater. John, welcome to A Green Way Forward. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Hey, Michael. Thank you. So uh, before we jump in, I want to remind viewers who are watching us on Facebook, please share this stream on your own page or any page you manage. If you are listening to us on a podcast, make sure to share this podcast. And for everyone, go to the website, agreenwayforward.org and sign up so you can continue to get uh, information announcements about upcoming guests. So let's jump right in. John Eater, as I said, has the fame of being the first state legislature that the Green Party ever elected in a general election. We had actually uh, won a special election in California uh, when Audie Bach became the first Green Party state legislator. Uh, But John Eater actually won in a straight up uh, general election. He served, I believe, from 2002 uh, to 2006. There's an interesting story there. But John, your history of moving into the Green Party, I want you to uh, uh, share a little bit about how you came into the Green Party and for you, why the Green Party? Well, I I came to Maine uh, over 20 years ago now. I was, I believe, in 1996. I had moved from, I was traveling around, but I, I, I came come from New York. And uh, when I uh, picked up my voter registration card. I was stunned to see that the Green Party was uh, was there on the card as the choice for a party that I could join. And I had formerly been a Democrat and uh, more uh, was really disappointed in the uh, Clinton. And I had worked on the Clinton campaign a little bit in Buffalo, New York, as a volunteer. And uh, so as soon as I saw that green box, it was a no-brainer. I just checked that box. And it was off to the races from there on out. A lot uh, like you, I got involved with the Nader campaign uh, in Portland, Maine. I um, I was a greeter and uh, worked to uh, to drive out uh, GOTV for Nader, uh, and uh, got to uh, meet the man himself. Received him and drove him around to a couple of speaking engagements here in Maine, and I was just hooked. Uh, and then uh, I mean, the Greens. What's not to like, John? Oh. I mean, the first time I re- I still remember the four pillars of the international uh, Green Party movement: a commitment to peace, social and racial justice, grassroots democracy, uh, and deep ecology. It's like, well, of course I'm going to be a member of that party. Prior to that, I'd done a lot of uh, activism, pretty much ex- exclusively activism, and I had never dreamed uh, that. Um, there would be space for an activist in, in an electoral party. Um, but here, here was the, the Green Party, which embraced activism, direct action, uh, and, and used it as a tool along with and saw it as a tool equivalent to that of electoral action. And that just really turned me on. And then uh, I didn't mention, I, I, prior to, Prior to uh, joining up with the Green Party for the, the Nader campaign in 2000, I'd gone over to uh, the Democrats who were just around the corner. They had an office right around the corner in Portland, Maine. And uh, I walked in there 
And uh, you would have thought that, you know, I, w- I, w- I walked in there with a gun or something. They just thought, they just looked at me like I was a bug. I stood there for about 10 minutes trying to get somebody to look at me or to pay attention to me. And they, you know, I couldn't get, uh, I could, everybody was in a suit and tie and I couldn't get anybody to even say hello or look at me. So that's when I turned around and I went right over to the Green Party office and I was embraced with open arms. And then after the Nader campaign, I was approached by two, uh, two young leaders in the party who had, who had done a lot to uh, form the party and uh, get us a le- uh, ballot access here in, in, in Maine. And they said, hey, man, would you like to run for office? And I was just stunned. I said, me? You want me to run for office? And uh, pretty much as, as quick as that, I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I was a massage therapist at the time, and I had sort of a, moment, a, a minute in downtime there, and, and I ran for office and, and won, and the rest was history. And, you know, it, it occurs to me, the problem is, John, that you walked into the Democratic Party's office and forgot to, to bring your checkbook and write a big check. You know, you went into the Green Party uh, office and said, hey, I want to help build a movement and I'm an activist who want to get involved in electoral politics. And they were all over you. Folks, I think uh, that's something to think about. Oh, yeah, John, I also want to give you a chance in a a nutshell. Tell us about your experience, about what it was like to actually get elected to serve as uh, a member of the main state legislature and how the democratic party leadership treated you in that process. Well, first of all, it was an experience of, of a lifetime and I would recommend to anybody uh, that they run for office. It would that the process of running for office in and of itself was just transformative. And uh, I, that was just wonderful in and of itself. I, I really didn't have any expectation to win. I worked my heart out and I was just kind of stunned uh, to find myself amongst uh, those people uh, in Augusta and all these people in, you know, their suits and their ties. And I thought, oh, man, what have I gotten myself into as I as I stood there on the floor of the legislature? Uh, and, uh, you know, I had nothing to compare it to not having served as anything but a green, you know. And But uh, shortly after uh, I got to the House uh, of, of Representatives in Maine, the clerk of the house called me up and she referred me to a, she opened up a book that had the constitution in it. And she referred me to a, a, a section that talked about how every 10 years uh, they, there was redistricting of uh, legislative districts. And she pointed to that line and in a prophetic way. And she said to me, you really want to pay attention to this, this here uh, passage. And I didn't know what she was talking about, but lo and behold, the Democrats uh, went ahead and tried to redistrict me. They drew the line right around my house. Uh, and uh, I, I didn't own that house, so I was able to, I was a renter, so I was able to just move a block over and rejoin the, the folks who voted for me. So that, that all was the fir- my first year in the legislature. It sort of gives you a sense of how the leadership of the Democratic Party actually thinks about and treats Greens. John, we have, Michael and I have been doing a lot of talking and promoting and uh, applauding the victory of ranked choice voting uh, in Maine. So I want to ask you, why are you, and I know that you worked on that campaign, why are you such a supporter of ranked choice voting? Well, when I first got to the legislature, uh, I talked to that Democratic Party leadership about ranked choice voting, because often... Uh, they had been, you know, I was taking the brunt of, of a lot of uh, the anger 
uh, that you know they would uh, throw in my direction at, at the nerve that us Greens would run against Democrats and uh, and and sometimes you know spoil uh, the election as they would put it. And uh, and I told them I said you know I what I, I really embrace the power to spoil and what they had better do is you know real soon get to understand about ranked choice voting. Uh, and they actually did. They actually did take uh, take me at my word, and 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 they did begin to do a little research. Uh, the leadership of the house, but uh, they they didn't uh, do anything with it for some time. I think they wanted to continue to call us spoilers, frankly. And uh, what had happened was that moved things along. Is in Portland, Maine, there was an election. There was a, a an election to redo the charter and elect members of a charter commission. The charter of a city is like the city's constitution. And a couple of Greens got on that charter commission. Uh, uh, Ben Chipman, who worked for me in my legislative office as my legislative aide and now serves in the, in the state house. He got on there and he pushed for ranked choice voting for the mayor of the city of Portland to be elected by ranked choice voting. Uh, and because he's a very persuasive guy and a, and a consummate politician, he was successful in getting the city of Portland to uh, adopt that into the charter. And uh, so the city of Portland, ever since then, in 2010, had been electing uh, the mayor using ranked choice voting. And so uh, I want to stop for a moment and really underscore to listeners and viewers and understand that part of the reason that Maine became the first state to implement ranked choice voting, one of the conditions that made it right was the fact that the state capital had been using it in its municipal elections. Is that fair to say, John? Well, the BS, the biggest, the biggest city in the in the state, Portland, and oh, uh, yes. right, and so that, and I found out to be, I found that to be true so many times with so many issues, progressive issues, is that. Um, if you can go to the if you can go to the most local unit of government that you can get access to and agitate for that that thing that you want to you want to see writ large that that policy that you want to see writ large is start with the smallest unit accessible to you uh, and that's what we did in order to get ranked choice voting and to get the people in the state of Maine comfortable with it. I mean, it was a, it was a quite an alien concept to people, but once they saw how it worked and that uh, it worked well and that it w- and that it wasn't difficult, uh, it was it was an easy sell uh, to sell the, uh, the 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 entire state in uh, in a referendum to convince them to adopt ranked choice voting on the state level. And now, since 2016, we've been electing state office holders with ranked choice voting in in Maine. So Folks, John, you're watching uh, and or listening to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. We're speaking with John Eater, former state legislature for the Green Party from the great state of Maine, also one of the Maine committee members who helped to win ranked choice voting in that state. Uh, and we are exploring this very concept. And if you are watching live on Facebook, Please take advantage if you want to make a comment or ask a question of John. Just drop those in the comments, and Michael O'Neill will uh, occasionally harvest those, and we'll try to get some of them covered. For example, Ken has written in to say, ranked choice voting is the only way to save the future. 
Charles writes in to share with us the really fantastic news that ranked choice voting has made its way out of committee in the Washington State Legislature. Oh, awesome. That's great. That's great. And, and another, another uh, turn of events happened here in Maine, which brought about ranked choice voting on the state level. And that's that a, um, a spoiler, in this case, an independent, uh, joined the race for governor uh, in uh, 2012, I believe. Uh, and that, uh, that independent ended up throwing the race uh, to a uh, to a very conservative governor that we we had in office for two terms. Uh, you, you might have heard about him. Uh, did some pretty infamous things and, and made his way uh, uh, onto the funny pages a bunch of times while he was in office. Look, I'm a Texan, and your governor uh, uh, took some heat off of us for for being a wackadoo. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, I want to get Michael O'Neill into this conversation, Michael. John, uh, so how many years was it between the first election in a city with ranked choice voting to when it was introduced at the state level? Roughly. Let's see. I guess it had been about five, it had been five years um, in between, uh, and at that point there had been two elections using it for electing the mayor of Portland, the state's biggest city, uh, and so then when. Uh, actually, progressive activists, uh, still the party leadership of the Democratic Party, um, was dragging its feet. And they would, when they could have gone forward with it and avoided, uh, you know, the first term of uh, Paul LePage, uh, they weren't ready to do it. They weren't convinced. Um, and progressives like myself, and Democratic progressives and independents all got together to try to convince them that this was something that they should move forward on. Um, uh, but they they weren't able to get it in gear uh, until uh, until the following election, uh, and and in, and at that point it was too late. It, it happened again, and so therefore uh, you know they were it was the power of the spoiler that ended up uh, convincing people that you know that we needed ranked choice voting. John, I want to drill in. You said the power of the spoiler. So often uh, I hear Greens who try to make the argument that, oh, we're not spoiling. We're just participating. Uh, the system is the spoiled thing, you know, uh, or, or even say, look, we didn't get so many votes that actually spoiled the election. You've got a different view on that. You've got a different take. I've heard you talk about the power of the spoiler and the spoil to win strategy. I'm going to invite you to share with us your thoughts on what you mean when you when you say uh, the power of the spoiler or spoiling to win? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, to, to be frank, um, I've worked with a lot of candidates who, who uh, you know, I, I'm so grateful to them. They ran in, in a district where they had little chance, little to, to nil chance of, uh, of winning. Um, or maybe, they, you know, they'd get a, even a real low percentage. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would approach them and say, you know, there's, uh, there's a there's a strength in what you're doing. In order for us to wake this system up and to get them to adopt a more sane way of electing, uh, one of the tools that we have and that we should embrace and not shirk from, because you know, as people have said, this is the system we were given. Uh, 
We can change it, but we need to show that we're not afraid to spoil elections because that's the only thing that's going to wake the people in power who actually have the power to change it, uh, to get motivated and move on. You know, and that and we saw that happen here in Maine. At first it happened with the Greens and then it happened with an independent candidate who who spoiled the election for the Democrats. Then finally they woke up and 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 once it had been in place and people saw that it was something that was uh, was a very easy system and that allowed them to rank their choices. Uh, it was, you know, the, the, the people of the state embraced it with, with open arms. But we, ha- we need not be afraid of this power to spoil because it is the system that we're given. We have no choice. And this is one of the tools that we have. And we, we shouldn't be afra- afraid of being blunt about it. Well, you know, John, I really appreciate you embracing the power of participation uh, and the ability not just to introduce new ideas, as the Green Party did with the Green New Deal, but in addition to that, force the change. The reality is this. There's not a single time that any electoral reform has been successfully enacted or implemented that did not first come from proving that there was a problem. And for me, the the exciting thing is to prove that there's a problem uh, and then uh, using ranked choice voting as the solution. Michael? Yeah, you know, the the title of this program is uh, How Maine Got Ranked Choice Voting and How You Can Too. And so I am hoping for uh, the people who are watching who are interested in this, that we can give them some ideas about um, how they can help create the conditions that you saw beneficial to ranked choice voting in Maine. And so we talked about one aspect, which is getting it at the local level in as many cities and municipalities as possible. Looking at a bigger scale, you had a, a, a kind of you know, national political watershed moment with the governor that uh, you were dealing with that helped to kind of foment that crisis. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about the flip side of that coin of what kind of coalition building did you uh, go about in, in talking to community groups, uh, other political entities and organizations to recruit people onto this as a solution? Because we've seen lots of, of times when elections have been so-called spoiled, but it didn't result in any ranked choice voting being passed. So what was the difference there in Maine from an organizing perspective? Well, the first break came with um, some really astute uh, people who uh, delved into our city charter. And I don't think uh, that idea, whoever was the genius, and, 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 and it, was, it was my friend Ben Shipman, who thought to use this opportunity to bring up uh, ranked choice voting uh, was, you know, he, he was really, uh, he, he was really being uh, smart about it. And I, I don't think I would have thought myself that that would have been the opportunity or the place to, to try to put that in. In fact, when he told me he was going to make an effort uh, to get ranked choice voting in charter, when our charter every 10 years is up for, uh, is up for uh, rejiggering, I thought that that's really far fetched, man. I appreciate that you're going to go for that, but I, I just can't see you getting the rest of the charter commissioners to come on board with that. Uh, but 
it's looking for opportunities like that at the local unit level, at the at local uh, in local government, um, looking for ingenious ways to get it in there. I mean, of, of course, start with talking to your uh, your your local representatives about it on, on city council, town council, or what have you. Um, but you know, oftentimes, what I, I think we illustrated here in Maine is there needed to be that pain point for them to look at it and see the greens uh, had been, you know, running electoral races here in Maine for, for a couple of decades, winning a bunch in Portland, Maine, not winning in other places, spoiling. Uh, And the Democrats as a whole uh, thought uh, after having seen, uh, you know, the power to spoil that it would be a good thing to go ahead and implement this in the, in the biggest city in the state. Uh, so again, you know, I'm an ardent localist. And so I, I, I'm always telling people that whatever, whatever it is that you want to see done, you know, on the, even on the national scale, first look for that point of entry on the local level. Um, because a lot of times it's there and in places that you least expect it, of course, every, every town does things differently. Every state does things differently, but get in there and look for those opportunities um, to, uh, to implement, uh, uh, a more sane voting system. And, uh, you know, they, they may come, uh, the opportunity may, may come where you least expect. John, I'm happy to say that, uh, we've had, uh, uh, several people taking advantage of the comment section. Craig is writing us from New Jersey and says that they are trying to start a ranked choice voting initiative in New Jersey. And he's asking specifically if you, John Eater, would be willing to come down to New Jersey if they host a forum for you in the spring and summer. How about it, John? I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I never miss the opportunity to go around and promote uh, green politics and to promote uh, ranked choice voting. So I, I would I'd be I open to uh, I love going to New Jersey. I love I love going down that way. So I would Which, love. By the way, I should say uh, 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 another state legislature, Matt Ahern out of New Jersey, who also introduced a ranked choice voting bill while he was in the legislature. So go New Jersey, and I'm going to make sure Michael O'Neill that we've captured Craig's contact information so we can put Craig and John Eater into direct communication. I love um, that. I'd love to come down and talk to you all about well, it. Well, well, John, is there a way that are you? Is there a way to reach you online? Do you have a, a, a signpost out in the world where people can send you a message? Uh, well, uh, you can you just email me. Or, or at, maybe uh, through the main Green Party? Is that a way that they could pass uh, something to you? Not a direct way. I would, okay. I would just, you could just email me at johnmichaeater. Uh, that's all one, johnmichaeater at gmail.com. And uh, you can look for the spelling of my name down here below. Uh, and I'd be, I'd be glad to talk to you about, and, and also put you in touch with, uh, with, uh, the experts here in the state of Maine who were able to, uh, because it, because it, be, it became a big coalition and it, you know, to, to be frank, it got well out of the hands of the greens at some point. I mean, I was, uh, I was later asked to be an, an advisory member of the committee. Uh, to promote uh, ranked choice voting in the state of Maine by by the referendum, but uh, it it had gotten well out of our hands at the point where uh, you know it re- it really gained momentum, which was a great thing to see. You know because we'd been working on it for years. Like oh, wow, this is great. 
somebody, you know, there's a there's a whole gr- a group of capable people who are working on this, and uh, I can just, uh, you know, lend my name to you to the advisory committee, which is what I did, and, and promoted it how I could. Um, but yeah, I'd I'd, I'd love to uh, talk to anybody out there. Uh, uh, and strategize with them about some ways that they can b- begin to uh, go down that road of uh, implementing it in their state and their town. So, uh, John, Arthur writes in from Maine uh, to ask, didn't the legislature originally try to fight ranked choice voting because they said we as Mainers were too dumb to use it? Is that really true? That's true. I mean, yeah. Uh, there were uh, in in the, there was leadership in both parties uh, who uh, who were saying that uh, it was too unwieldy. Uh, all the talking heads, uh, even in uh, even in those progressive places, uh, were saying that it was uh, it was just unreasonable, and that it would be a disaster for the state of Maine, and the people wouldn't understand it. You know, it's the same old thing, David. Where uh, you know. The politicians often just think the electorate is really dumb and stupid and apathetic and disinterested. But we've showed them otherwise. And, uh, yeah, they just thought that we weren't going to be smart enough to handle it. So, John, um, what I'm hearing in terms of your maybe advice or your perspective that you're sharing with people who want to get ranked choice voting where they live is – as he said a, a number of times, start local. So try to get ranked choice voting passed at whatever municipal town or city level that, that people are at where they can have the most outsized impact. Talk to your your local representatives at that level and and even at the same time, talk to your representatives who are in a, a larger body like the state legislature to start building those relationships early. And again, we're talking about elected officials who are going to be either Democrats or Republicans. And but, you know, you're a citizen. These people were elected to represent you the as, as people out in the world. And so let's make them do their job. And right. now when it comes to the actual as Greens are running or as independents are running, um, how to introduce ranked choice voting as an element of the campaign to number one, uh, maybe mitigate against the spoiler factor in terms of, of of taking away votes from Greens who are running to get as many votes as they can, and number two, to advance the cause of ranked choice voting or possibly other issues that Greens are are running on in their candidacies. Yeah, I mean it, that that's how we began. We uh, we offered we shot right back with any charges of being a spoiler. We offered uh, this voting system as a way to do away with the winner-take-all system uh, and the first-past-the-post system. So that's 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 how we began promoting it. As uh, we we shot right back when they would say, "Well, you're a spoiler. You're gonna, you know, you you want to do these good progressive things, but you're gonna throw the election to a conservative." Well, we shot right back with, "Well, yeah, you know, we're also promoting this program." Of a, of a way that you can a much more sane way to run your election. Now, of course, every every state and every city and every municipality and every local town does things differently. But you, you'd be surprised if you really if you really delved into you know maybe uh, the way your school board is elected um, 
could, you know, it could be something standalone that could be addressed. Or you could say, hey, let's, uh, let's elect, um, you know, uh, our members of the school board. You could start uh, on, on a very small uh, local unit level. So let's elect the members of the school board using ranked choice voting. Let's, let's try this out. Um, so there's, there's opportunity abound. Uh, and it's just, it just takes a, some creativity. And also you got to begin to talk about it and promote it, of course. And of course you can't talk about it if you're not actually running for office as either a green or a socialist or somebody outside of the two party system. And, you know, John, one of the things that I've heard you many times really rail against the winner take all system, the first past the post system, because it's so fundamentally undemocratic. And I know you and I know that you began your social change work, not as an elected official, not even as a green, but as an activist working on social movements. And I, I, I have often made the case that the winner take all system, because it forces folks to lower their political demands and aspirations, that the winner take all voting system itself weakens social movements. Uh, would you agree with that? Or how would you talk about that if you do agree with it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I saw it happen so often. Uh, when I first ran for office, there were a bunch of uh, activist groups and activist org- progressive organizations who said, you know, John, we're, we're sick of being stuck with the Democrats and having to always get behind Democrats. Everything that you're saying matches, lines up with all of our issues. And we really want to be able to endorse you. We really want to be able to, uh, you know, to promote a candidate who actually is talking our issues rather than, you know, promoting one that, you know, says nothing about what we stand for. But we, we can't do that because we know that, you know, if we, if we endorse you, there'll be repercussions for one. Uh, or if you spoil the election, you know, then, then when we go back to ask for that thing that we want to get from the legislature, from the town council, they'll remind us that we endorse the progressive who stands with us on all of our issues, but that we had the nerve to go ahead and endorse somebody from outside of the part of their party. So yeah, local, local groups, uh, you know, progressive groups are really hurt. Uh, because they would like to endorse green candidates, and it, and if they had a system, uh, the ranked choice voting system, they could they could promote their candidate. They could say well, they could say, hey, we're going to we're going to endorse John first, and we're going to endorse Ed second. You know, but John lines up with all of our issues, so it's in the best interest. I watch so many groups uh, not have any power because. All of the candidates that they endorsed uh, said, said nothing to their issues, spoke nothing to their constituencies, but they felt stuck and trapped. Right. And, you know, that's the other thing about uh, so-called stealing votes as if the, the, one of the two major corporate parties thinks that they own your vote when it's actually your vote that they need to earn. And one of the things that I often say is, you know, as a member of any constituency, whether it's a racial or ethnic constituency, whether it's an issue-based constituency, you know, labor or uh, peace activist or ecologist or, or any issue that you care about. And that's this. If you as a voter get taken for granted, you just got taken. 
And that's what the winner take all system does. It forces the voter to feel like they have to hold their nose and vote against the worst candidate rather than allow themselves to actually vote for the candidates that they want. They end up having to vote against the candidates that they fear. So for me, the entire ranked choice voting really is so amazing because it literally empowers the voter as it, and it saves money when doing so, but it literally is a more empowering voting system for democracy. Absolutely. I mean, what, what these groups, what I saw and what these groups will tell you themselves is that as soon as they do that, as soon as they, they give away their power, and get behind a candidate, a candidate that candidates or a party that's not advocating for their issues. They, they're, they, they're just they, they're, they're taken for granted. They're approached when they need activists to go out on the street and go door to door and so forth. And they know this, and they know when the, But they just hope. They just hope and pray that you'll remember that, that, you know, that those uh, politicians will remember the little thing they did to them. They hope and they pray they'll get one little progressive, little, little, some a crumb. A Please, crumb. sir, may we have, may we and just have a little bit. That's so, right. And that's, that's how it's working all over the country, that everybody's, everybody's selling their soul for a little crumb, a little crumb that they might not even get in the end. So I also want to let you know, uh, John, that Dave has written in to say that a big movement in Massachusetts has really taken off since the main victory. I can tell you that I constantly get approached. Uh, sometimes people will want to educate me on ranked choice voting. And you may remember I actually worked for Fair Vote back in 2000. Uh, and well, when Ben actually approached us about his crazy idea. So it makes me happy. You know, this time has just flown by, John Eater. I do want to give you a chance uh, for any final thoughts before we wrap up this program. Well, you know, uh, just to say it again, uh, that with with so many uh, with, with with just such a dis- depressing state of affairs going on on the uh, on the on the national level on the on the worldwide level. Uh, and I know that people can get really uh, consumed and feel really down and depressed. And I always, I always want to say to people that the way that I survived this long as an activist and the way that I've had success is by really focusing small on, on something that I could do. You know, all the other things are flying around that need fixing, but something like ranked choice voting, something like running uh, you know, getting electoral access locally, if you can, and running as a third party candidate and promoting ranked choice voting is something that you can do in your life to overcome the overwhelming, the depressing feeling that you have no effect in this world and that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. So I really just want to say to people that the, I feel that that it's that little it really the sexy stuff happens on the local level so go out and get involved on the local level and do whatever you can pick one thing that you can do and keep and keep working at it because in this case with ranked choice voting and other things as well i've seen uh are just a couple of people again and again i've seen it start with just a couple of people and they worked and they worked and they talked about it and they and they just kept going and, and got success by sticking with that one thing uh, because it kept them sane. 
You know, uh, it reminds me of the great words of Frederick Douglass, who said, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. Lots of folks will quote that, but they forget the rest of the quote, which goes something like this. You show me the amount of injustice that any people are willing to tolerate, and I will show you the exact amount of injustice that will be visited upon them. So I think it's important that we recognize that it is important. No, it is imperative that we actually engage a process where we make demands. We demand more than the two-party system allows us to do. And I want to conclude uh, this program with a direct plea to folks Please get involved in your local Green Party, in your state Green Party, uh, as an engaged social change agent. Uh, the, I, it is my belief that we need an alternative to the two-party system in order to make our way out of the looming ecological, political, and economic crisis. So I'm agreeing, because not out of idealism, but cold, calculated analysis about how power operates. I want to conclude by thanking John Eater, former Maine State Legislature, somebody who worked on the advisory committee for the ranked choice voting victory in Maine. I want to thank Michael O'Neill, co-host, executive producer of the Green Way Forward, longtime Green Party activist himself. But most importantly, I want to thank you, the viewer listener, for your participation. Uh, Please do make sure to share this Facebook page uh, with your own page. Also, if you're listening to a podcast, make sure to share that. If you have not yet signed up at a Green Way Forward, please do that. Keep on keeping on. Peace. A Green Way Forward is broadcast live on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time from Dr. Jill Stein's Facebook page. Subscribe to our podcast and e-newsletter at agreenwayforward.org to make sure that you never miss an episode. You can also find us and rate us on iTunes, with more podcast platforms being added each week. Our theme music is Retro Future Dirty by Kevin McLeod, whose fine music can be found at incomptech.com and is available for use under a Creative Commons attribution license. This is Michael O'Neill for David Cobb reminding you to please spread the word about A Green Way Forward and to send us your thoughtful questions and comments to agreenwayforward at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.